you know, over really the last two weeks and then today, you're going to really experience what we do um, with our initiative in our city and region called City Commit three years ago, called out of the pulpit ministry and uh, to engage our culture. And so really, uh, over these weeks, you've just experienced what we do out in our community. And I'm so fortunate to say, you know, 360 has been such a partner in that with us. Um, and, and so, you know, in a couple weeks, two weeks ago, we talked about our, our workplace and how we shouldn't see it as just work, but our vocation, our calling. Hopefully last week as men, we understood there's a definition of manhood in both our manhood and our fatherhood. Again, to reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, invest eternally, and in fact, expect God's greater reward when we do that. Today, I'd like to share really about something that I'm journeying on always as well, but even as a leader pastor that I believe um, is also asked so many times from CEO marketplace leaders to inmates and those in recovery. It doesn't matter. It's, it's this whole area of how do we bring life change to our lives because there's this innate desire to become greater, and I believe it's it's a spiritual issue. I believe inside of us, there's very rarely many people that I, I run with or in, maybe in this room that doesn't want to move to the next level. The question is, is how do we actually bring life transformation? How do we morph? How do we change? And, and I think it's a very good question and one that we should delve into. And um, so we're going to take something that we study for six weeks uh, in city commit and actually put it down to one day, which means that we're going to take a 40,000 view, foot view, rather than getting into many details. I really want to look at some things with regards to a, uh, a, a panoramic view, um, and we're not going to have a chance to really delve down too deep, but I think it's worthy that we look, look at this whole area of life transformation. And um, I don't have any segues, so we're just going to go at it. All right, Here, here's where I want to begin. Life transformation is primarily about heart change. The noble fight against sin and temptation is not just about behavior modification. Listen, so many times in life we try to manage our sin or try to create behavior modification. And I don't know about you, it's exhausting, Right? Because so much of our life is trying to manage our behavior. And really, the issue is not about managing behavior as much as to realize it's more about our heart. In fact, I challenge you to consider that um, behavior modification without heart change is actually dangerous. I suggest to you today, my premise is, is if we actually manage our sin and behave well, but there's not a heart change involved, I suggest to you that that's dangerous because we can actually hide behind our, our, our good behavior and not actually deal with our real issues. I suggest to you that many times that we can look good, I can look good, but I still have not dealt with my key issues, but at least by God, I'm, 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 I'm looking good to you. And I'm looking good to God because I'm behaving well. But that's, that's a righteous, that's a religious spirit. And that is, that is a, a whitewashing 
because I'm not dealing with my heart. I suggest to you today that we need to look at the heart issues of our life, not the behavior modifications or sin justifications, modifications that we need to do in our life. If we look at behavior, all wrong behavior most likely goes back to a heart problem. That's not what I say. That's actually what the Word of God says. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings all things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Above all else, above all else, before you... Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. It's mentioned 300 times. In the Word of God, it's mentioned 300 times because our heart references our desires and our emotions. And so what Jesus says and throughout scriptures, it says, guard your hearts because from your hearts are going to be birthing your behavior, your words, your attitudes. Really, don't deal with the, the, the byproduct. Deal with the issue. The issue is... The heart, so above all else, guard your hearts. If we're going to talk about how to bring life transformation, let's don't talk about the, the actual behaviors themselves. Let's go to the, the real issue here. And so m- most people believe you can fake it till you make it, right? Just fake it till you make it. Well, it doesn't work. And in fact, if we fake it till we make it, sometimes we begin to change behaviors and we worship the behavior but not to change. Let me give you an example. 1982, um, Richard Foster wrote, wrote, wrote a book called Celebrations of Discipline. If you're a reader, read that classic. And in the introduction, he talks about the disciplines of spirituality. And he makes a comment. He says, and be careful because you might begin to worship the discipline more than God. We got to be careful. Because it's not about the end product. It's about our heart. And so the word of God says to guard your heart, you got to be careful of one thing. And that's what we're going to spend time on today. you got to be careful of the idols of your life. Be careful of the idols of your heart. So what's that mean? Um, What's that mean? Well, the long definition is this. An idolatry is when we allow anything other than God to become the center of our heart's true happiness contentment, meaning, identity, purpose, or security. It's, it's when we allow something else to become an idol or a surrogate God in our, in our life, ruling our thoughts, our emotions, and behaviors. It's those things in our life that we're searching for that we, we want to bring us happiness outside of God. So we pursue them to the degree that we substitute God with those things that we believe will bring ultimate peace, contentment, purpose, passion, and love. Because those are the things that we look for in life is those, those things, purpose, contentment, peace and and happiness and joy those are the things that drive us in life and so what the idol is 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 outside of god we're trying to pursue it and in our happiness we're going to try to find it because that's what happened in genesis 3 all three weeks we've gone back to genesis and again we go back to genesis where satan tempted adam and eve and he pulled that trick you've got to find there must be something outside of god and a relationship with him through jesus christ that will bring something greater that you're soul needs so you must find it and so even today that we pursue that and it's called idols it began in genesis and we still pursue it to uh, these days tim keller puts it in a beautiful way the pastor out of out of manhattan he said this idolatry is always the reason we ever do anything wrong 
Why do we ever lie or fail to love or keep promises or live selfishly? The specific answer is always that there is something besides Jesus Christ that you feel you must have to be happy, something that is more important to your heart than God. The secret to change is always to identify the idols of the heart. So with that said, we've got to pursue it today. We've got to pursue what, it, what are the idols? What is an idol? And, when, and is there idols in my life? Or in other words, am I trying to... This is it. Do I really believe that God has my best in mind and can meet my deepest needs? Because that's really the question, isn't it? Do I really believe that God can meet my deepest soul needs and he actually has my best in mind? Because if so, then why would I pursue idols? That might be the question. So what's an idol? Well, first of all, uh, an idol is, is actually... Uh, can be anything, but even a good thing. An idol can be um, money, which is an innate thing, not bad. It can be sex. It could be religion. It can be um, performance. It can be material possessions. It can be. It can turn to the dark side. It can be about addictions and drugs. It can be about pornography. It can be different things. But an idol, in many ways, can be anything. And in fact, even a good thing. That's what an idol is. An idol is also, second of all, it's a lie. An idol is an, uh, a lie. Uh, um, an idol overpromises and underdelivers. An, an idol in our life. Is, is something that says this will bring us ultimate satisfaction. If I can just be in that relationship, then I'll be forever happy. If I can just have that possession, then I can be happy. If I get a vacation, that's why when we go on vacation, we come back tired. Um, it's just, we're just like, oh, I thought that was going to make me feel so good. And then um, the new car smell, and all of a sudden it's gone, and you're going... <laughs> Man, what is this? My new car smells gone, my life. You know, because we, we thought, man, that new car, it's going to meet my need, the, the new guy or the new girl. And all of a sudden they disappoint us because um, idols aren't built to meet our deepest soul needs. No matter what, just understand that as we pursue anything outside God, it's not built to meet our deepest need. Even though we pursue it, we're always disappointed. Why? Because an idol is a lie. It overpromises and underdelivers. So that, that's the second part of a lie. Um, idolatry, it's, it's, it's built on a lie, but then it moves, um, it, it can come from legitimate desires, but are expressed as idols. They're, they're legitimate desires. Um, God created many things for enjoyment, so there's legitimate desires that we have in our lives. However, when tilted or twisted, they can become ugly, or they can be go go trans. Um, it goes against God's desire, and so all of a sudden, that which was a legitimate desire toward a relationship can turn toward an idol. That which God created that we would not be alone, and all of a sudden we come together, and two people becoming one. That that spousal relationship can actually be an idol. That which God created to be good in terms of even sports or hobbies, which are not bad, but they can often turn toward the be an idol. They're legitimate desires, but sometimes they turn into an idol. That's the third definition, part of our definition of an idol. And fourth and finally, Tim Keller defines idols 
um, as surface idols or deep idols. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. Uh, Surface idols um, tend to be the obvious things in our life. It's either an addiction or it's, um, it's relational issues. It's those things that we, we look and see and, and even know about somebody that we would call behavioral issues. Um, and, and so we call them surface idols. They're the obvious things. And they're directly related to some type of external behavior. So we go, yeah, that guy, that's my issue. My issue is this. And it's seen, it's known, and we think that's the idol. However, today we're going to consider something else that even Tim Keller talks about, and it's about the deep idols, the deep idols of life, which rule our hearts and are the motivators behind our surface idols. So today, we're, we're not going to talk about the surface idols of our life. We're not going to talk about the habits. We're not going to talk about what we see from the outside. It's not what our reputation might be. What we're going to talk about is we're going to go a little deeper. In fact, a glacier, if you really look at a glacier... We, it, it's the most part of the mass of a glacier is actually underneath the water. And so today, we're not going to talk about what's, what we see, but we're actually going to go after what is unseen. Because of a tree, we often see the branches, but the branches aren't, it's, aren't really the source. It's the roots. And so today, we want to really look at what are the idols of our life that are root issue, or in other words, they are submerged, they are submerged underneath the water of our life that you might not know rather than those things that are seen because we spend so much time on the things seen and the habits and to manage that sin, we're not really dealing with the real issue. So if we have to change what's seen, we have to go after those things unseen. Does that make sense? So today, let's go after those things unseen, or in other words, the deep idols of our life. There's three of them. First of all, there's control, there's significance, and there's comfort. Those three things. Control, significance, and comfort. We're going to look at control. With every idol, there's a lie. With every idol, There's a lie because idols lie. So we're going to look at each one and then we're going to define what they are. So for control, the lie is this. If I can just maintain influence or mastery over this situation, these people, my performance, my schedule, my income or whatever, then I'll be okay, content, strong, and safe. Right? So I'll just let you know I have issues in all three areas. So... Um, I'm really, I'm just like, here's a guinea pig. Let him teach you. You know what I'm saying? So I, um, I look at him as I go through. I go, oh, gosh, that's part of me too. So control freaks, um, they uh, have issues because they believe that if they can just control or master a situation, if I can just control uh, my, uh, people around me, even my situation, my finances, then um, I, I'm... I'll be okay. The lie is this. In Proverbs chapter 19, um, God says, many are the plans in the minds of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Um, If you don't know this, you're not in control. Right? Seriously. Who's got the call from the doctor? Who's got it? I got the call from dad. Mom's got five days. Who's got the call? You're no longer needed at our job. We're not in control. But the idol of, of control says, if I can just control everything in my life, 
my relationships and my finances, and if I can just control all this, then, then my functional heaven, which is what we say, my functional heaven is having certainty or dominance. So my biggest fear, if you're, you're a control freak, your biggest fear is instability or weakness. And, and so people that have control, we're always trying to, f- to bring security in our life, either relationally, vocationally, or monetarily. People that need to be in control, and that's your, and that's your idol, you're consistently pursuing, how do I keep my relationship in place? How do I control them? How do I manipulate them? How do I keep my finances in good shape? How do I keep my career? So you're constantly projecting, trying to keep it all in order. And in fact, those that with control issue also have a worry-anxiety issue, usually, because they're always projecting. Well, what if something happens in my, my relationship? What if I lose this money? What if I lose my career? Bah, 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 bah. And 93% of our lives never happen. Do you know that? 93% of those things that we project happen actually don't happen. There's a great theologian who said, why, why worry about those things that you think might come true and don't? And why worry about those things that come to life and do happen and live them twice? The theologian was Michael J. Fox, right? He lost his career and coming back because of Parkinson's. You're looking at a man who understands, why do I have to project and go through something that's not going to happen, but then project and it does happen 7% of the time and do it twice? That's how those with control, that's your idol, that's how you live. And so you're always trying to bring security to your life. Sometimes you do it through the manipulation of power. So if I can just power up on people and give them a sense of dominance, then then I can get my control in place. And so what people feel about toward those who control through power is as pawns manipulated in the monopoly board of life for you. That's when you have a control issue. The next deep issue of, of an idol is called significance. And that's the person who the lie is this. If this person, this social group, uh, if the colleagues in my profession, if they find me worthy of attention or love, if they acknowledge my value or greatness, as long as I'm not disgraced before them, then I'll be worthy, important, and acceptable. That's that high eye, sanguine uh, personality who's got to be sure that everyone likes them. There's 100 people, 99 people go, woo, and one person goes, you stink, and you go, I can't believe that. It's like, I don't know, for some reason, George Costanza comes out to me, and, and, you know, Seinfeld, does the waitress like me? You know, I just, I'm going back, sorry, pastor, I went, woo, right off the back end there, I went to Seinfeld. But um, it's the issue of, of, of saying, man, I need you to, to love me. I, I need everyone to like me. And so we're in this constant degree of people-pleasing. Galatians 1, though, suggest, as well as Colossians 3.23, that our focus and our aim and our view should be that of Christ, that he is who we work for, he is who identifies us and gives us our significance, not one another. And so the lie is, if you like me, then I, I have value. And then we, we operate that way. So we have an, uh, the, the functional heaven that we operate in of we, is an affirmation while, while your biggest fear is rejection or humiliation. So the, the functional heaven we in is if I'm just affirmed and you like me, whew, my life's good. But if you reject me or humiliate me, then my identity is gone. 
That's when that, that idol of, of significance take part. So it plays itself out. You have an overwhelming need for security and love. It, it's like those that date, and they just always have to continually date, be in a relationship. Man, I've got friends. I've got guys in their 35s, 40s that they're just always in a relationship, and they've always got to be with a girl. And I'm going, holy cow. And, and it's just this deep need that, to find the security is going to be in the love of another person. And so that affirmation is always built into the desire to be known and affirmed that they love me. I just want to, and the security then affirmed that my colleagues, what do they think of me? And so we, we, we really work toward trying to please everybody. That's the idol of significance. Some people need the, the great need of recon, uh, recognition. Some people have a really sick need to have recognition. Can I tell you where it is on a passive-aggressive scale? Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Holy cow. I, didn't, I don't need to know that you're going to the bathroom right now. <laughs> Seriously. I'm looking and watching, and people are putting on the post, and I'm going, really? Wow. And it's just, I need, I need people to know what I'm doing. I mean, I, I mean, I'll leave it there because I'm ticking some of you off. It is amazing. Marlene and I sit back sometimes and go, where do they get all the time? Right? But it's, I just want to let you know, I'm going to the, I, I appreciate that. I don't have time to read your, whatever. I'll let go of that. I'm sorry, I'm ticking some of you off. But it is one of the most passive aggressive ways of needing to be recognized. I just want to let you know that. The third one and the third idol is the deep idol of comfort. And uh, the lie is this. If I can just maintain physical ease or relaxation, if life can just be laid back, if I can just keep away from stress or responsibility, if I can just experience some pleasure or enjoyment in the moment, then life will be more fulfilling, easy, fun, or thrilling. Now, David said something different. He said that, that you may make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness, joy at the right hand of God is your pleasures. But there are people that, that have this idol of comfort who actually believe that, that if I can just keep the thrill and the adrenaline going, I'm going to uh, keep functional in my life. And or if I can't keep that going, just be sure I don't have any responsibility. They're very, uh, if you have this idol in your life, you're really big on ease. And you're almost ticked off when people demand anything of you because that's your idol. So your functional heaven in life is pleasure and ease while your biggest fear is boredom and responsibility. Your biggest fear is that in some way you'll lose the adrenaline rush or in other words, you're going to have some type of responsibility. So you have a fear of stress and responsibility. That's why people might go to be sure to go and get shopping. I need that, that high of that purchase or gambling or alcohol, the addictive pan or porn. We might have that or I've got to keep it going. So I've got to, I've got to, ride, at a, I've got to ride a cycle at a large speed. I've got a parachute. I got a bungee jump. I got to be sure that I'm out there on the edge all the time because I need to keep that thing going. But by golly, don't ask me to be responsible in life because I got to be comfortable. And that's that idol. It's consuming. Um, if you have this idol, you're into consumption. All right? Remember, surface idols are, are just a byproduct of the deep idols. Everything that we usually talk about 
those are the byproducts. What we're talking about this morning are the real issues. It looks something like this, maybe. I had these surface idols that I didn't know I was building that were actually fantastic things that slowly slipped into maybe some things that were more controlling. Leading young guys in my band to the Lord and then pouring my life into who they were. That is not a bad thing. How can that be a bad thing? It wasn't. And so I was seeing lives transformed through the music I was writing. I was seeing lives transformed through the relationships that I was building. I was seeing marriages healed because of my wife and I pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. And the surface idol of control for me was realizing that I had control over all of these facets in my ministry. I started to get invited to lead worship and to sing at larger conferences. My head started to get a little bit bigger because again, I began to be in control. The root idol of control for me was the thing that in my aha moment, when my wife looked me in the eye, control was the root of everything that was lacking in my marriage and relationship at that point. We've sort of established a rhythm several years back in our family um, that Saturday is, is kind of a day of, of rest, a day of relaxation, and in the fall, it is a day specifically for football. A couple years back, I realized that our, uh, our quaint little family tradition had morphed into more of an idol. Oklahoma was playing Texas A&M on the road. Second half, they were starting to forge a comeback, and, and um, critical time in the game, uh, the quarterback throws an interception. At an almost the exact same moment, my, at the time, I think five-year-old daughter uh, was trying to show me a cartwheel in her Oklahoma Sooner cheerleader outfit. She flips over a big bowl of popcorn that I just popped for myself. My wife, who happened to walk in the room at the time, caught whatever I said to her and, uh, and then called me uh, into question for, for the way I responded to her, which led to essentially uh, a big disagreement between my wife and I to where I effectively missed the, the second half of the OU game. And not only that, but missed a night's sleep thinking about how in the world did I let it come to this, that I could be set off in, in such a, an egregious way because of an interception to where I would respond to my kid this way and then have a big disagreement about my wife. Um, that was probably the moment when I noticed that this, this good thing had become a God thing. So when I was 27 years old, I um, decided to really take a serious look at the restaurant industry, quit waiting tables, but take my life seriously. You see, in the restaurant business, to make forty, fifty thousand dollars a year as a general manager is the average. And here I was in a company where the top guys were making two hundred fifty thousand. Only two layers up for me. I thought, you know what, I can do this. So here it was. You know running one place, 220 seats, doing almost $15 million a year, unheard of for a single restaurant. And I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. My wife finally started realizing this is not the way to live their life. She didn't see me. I wasn't connected. When I was at home, I was more concerned about what was happening in the restaurant. She kept telling me I identified too much with my restaurant, that my entire identity was attached to it. I disagreed to the point I got really upset the way she attacked me, attacked who I was. I mean, I was providing for the family. All this money was flowing in. The trips, she wasn't saying no. She was spending the money just as quickly I was making it. But what happened was eventually 
it drew a big rift between us. She actually hated my job, resented what I did and everything I stood for. And I could tell, I could tell. So again, it's many times we focus in on the top of the iceberg and yet it's below the surface of those things that, that really we need to consider. Do, do we maybe consider that we might have a control idol or a significance idol or a comfort idol and all of a sudden our discussions and our thoughts are changing from looking at our behaviors to maybe really looking at the at the real issue of our lives and then then what do we do i mean maybe you're here already today and that's cool because i deal with, you just checked out already i i don't want to deal with this but maybe you're here going, man, I, I need to really consider this. What do I do? I love, I love Socrates who said, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. You know? And, and I really truly believe that. I, I believe if we're not willing to look at our life, I mean this in love, you're wasting your life. Because part of life is saying to, to myself, Brian, what, what, what am I needing to go after? And what do I do? The first thing we need to do is, first of all, admit it, which is really a huge step. And I would even say for men, I think this is a huge step just to take and go, I have this issue, and it's an issue of control. And, it, and, and the byproduct looks, at, looks like this. But my issue is I'm a control freak, and I need to, I need to admit that to myself. And then secondly, I've got to be ruthlessly honest with someone. I've got to be ruthlessly honest with somebody. Hey, listen, those who are ruthlessly honest will go to the last 3 to 5% of a conversation that you're most likely not going to have, but you need to have, and it's in that last 3 to 5 where transformation hits. And I would guess about 5% or about 12 to 15 of us actually are ruthlessly honest in this room. I would guess, 5%. I mean, it's that last 5% that you go, I'm going to go and tell you something I have to bring from the dark to the life. Because James chapter 5 says this, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And I can't be healed or transformed unless I'm willing to take that which is dark in my life and bring it to light. It's impossible. There's power in bringing it to light. And yet most people, let alone religious Christian people, we don't do that because we have to save face, keep face. Because I'll tell you, one of the biggest manhood moments is when we're courageous men to let the strong other men know that you might be weak. Ladies, when you're not vulnerable enough because you got to keep, keep the look and the feel and the Jones name, let me tell you, there's no transformation there. Until you go to the place with a friend who goes, I want to let you know, I've got this baggage and I'm going to bring it to light. Can I trust you? Will you love me enough to take me right where I'm at? God allows us to meet us right where we're at, but it, he loves us enough not to let us stay there, right? So he meets us right where we're at, but he loves us enough not to want to stay there. It's that last 3 to 5%. So two weeks ago, I just let you know, and you know, I'm embarrassed, Hannah, because you're my daughter, you're sitting here. I mean, I snapped at mommy two weeks ago. And she doesn't know that. 
and I'm driving, and I'm going, what was that about? Something came out that wasn't even about Marlene. There was something inside of me. And my first call wasn't to God. My first call was to my best friend. And I just said, I don't know what happened, but I just snapped. And he didn't let me get away with it. He said, I'm going to listen to you. And what's coming out? What's going on in you? And he just let me, let me get honest with me. And, then he, and he said, let's pray. Then I talked to God. Then I called my wife. It's because some of you are like, oh, yeah, but did you? Yeah, I called my, my wife. Called Marlene and said, honey, I'm sorry. Because I'm depraved. I'm still working out my junk. But what's going on now is I'm not trying to work at what's above the water. I'm trying to look what's underneath and look at those three areas. What is it that I'm trying to control? Is there, is there something I feel like I got to always be significant? Is there a comfort thing that I'm battling at? And like I said, I think I got all of them. How about you? So, <laughs> you thought we were done. We're not. Um, so we have to admit, we have to be ruthlessly honest. And then we're going to have to take something that we have as a lie and replace it with truth. So, so the one thing we often do is we find out those things that we don't know that we don't know. Like today you might go, man, I didn't know that I didn't know that it's really not about these issues. It's about these issues. Okay, that's a truth. So you've been buying a lie, which means you've got to take out the lie and replace it with truth. Okay, you can't take something out and not replace it or it will come back tenfold, right? How many of you experienced that? If you don't take it, you pull it out, lie, you got to replace it with truth. Here's the truth. The third point of what I must do is to agree that Jesus Christ is the one that forgave me. Jesus Christ is the one that has taken my stuff, past, present, and future. And because of him and what he did on the cross, while, we, while I was still yet a sinner, he came for me. While I was still in my stuff, while, he was, while you were still, he demonstrated his love for you and me while we were yet sinners. And because of his powerful propitiation, or in other words, he taking on of our sins on that cross, because of that, that means that my issues, he's forgiven. He paid the price for. That's the truth. So I take the lie out that I have to perform for God, and I replace it with truth that Jesus paid the price for my sin and your sin as well, because I got to replace a lie. Many of you are banging on this lie that God doesn't love you because of your performance or where you're at or because of your your past. That's a lie. He loves you where you're at. Take the lie, pull it out, replace it with truth. Jesus Christ, perfect man God, came from heaven to this earth and he, and, and he died on the cross. He was a perfect man, fully God, fully man. And because of what he did on the cross with his death, the blood, the resurrection, the ascension, because of that, that proved his, 
his, his pure God, but also he, he felt like a human. He knows our struggles and yet did not sin. That's the perfect. That's the gospel. I got to take out the lie. So all of this stuff, crap, I got to deal with, it's been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. I've got to embrace that. And then finally, I've got to embrace his grace. And I, you know, Pastor and I were talking about the tension of grace. Man. Grace is that he loves me in my obedience the same as he does in my disobedience. You might want to write that down. Grace is, is that somehow he loves me even when I perform well and when I don't. And I don't understand it. And it doesn't give me that permission to sin. It actually does the difference. My response is, I want to be more like Jesus and respond in obedience. But his love for me is not based on how well I did at the end of the day. That's grace. And it's powerful. It's the most powerful, it's the most powerful move in the universe is God's grace. So as we go through the trials and the idols, there's this partnership that occurs between our effort and his grace that brings transformation. One without the other doesn't work. It's a partnership. I can't explain it. It's supernatural. His grace. My response. But this morning, what's that look like for us? What's it look like for us? Let's look at this video as we bring closure today. I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to have a nice car like he had, private jet to, to fly on when we went on vacation. I wanted to be able to bless people like he did. I wanted to be respected like he was. I saw my father occasionally. He was busy building waste management at the time. His life was uh, filled with hard work travel with interesting people. He had a certain amount of power. It was a life that, that seemed exciting to me. I made an incredible amount of money working with Wayne Sr. there. I began to have wealth to fly, to have a nice sport fishing yacht, to live in a big home, to have an incredible amount of disposable income three sports teams, we drank, we drank in excess, went to the kind of clubs that you didn't tell your mother that you went to, I commanded an audience, I said whatever came to my mind, whether it was to you or to your wife, self-focused, do what I want and I'm going to please me no matter what that means. That was my life, an incredible banquet of all the things that the world had to offer, but just never getting full, never being satisfied, never being able to push away and say, okay, that's enough. Suddenly I was lost. 
happy, but unfulfilled. Something was missing. I got a call from a couple friends and they said, hey, Junior, we got a chance to go on a nuclear submarine for three days and cruise from South Carolina to Florida. Do you want to go? I said, done, we're there, we'll take our plane. And I was introduced to Captain Brad Fleetwood McDonald. We became incredible friends. He took me on his submarine, so I started taking him out of my fishing boat and I began to ask him questions about leadership. I thought, who better than a man that commands 120 gentlemen underneath the ocean for six months at a time. And every time I asked him about leadership, he had his Bible. And he had this incredible peace about him that was unlike any that I'd ever seen in all the people that I had met through Wayne Sr. And one day I got up my courage and I asked him, I said, you know, Captain Brad, why are we so different? Junior, he said, you have a hole in your heart. It's consuming everything that you're trying to put in. Everything you do is trying to fill that hole. And the only way you're going to fill that hole is with the relationship with God. I thought, could that be it? Could it be that easy? All these things that I've been chasing, all these places that I'm going, a relationship with God. Well, I went home and I tried to find a church. pastor gave an incredible sermon and at the end before he closed said do you think that there's a reason that God allowed you to be born do you think that he has a plan for your life I felt like he was talking right at me instead of the 4,000 people that were there I stood up out of my chair like I was launched out by springs and I can still hear this voice inside of me that said, Junior, sit down, you look so silly. But there was no way. I made my way to the, down the road to the aisle and forward to the front of this church that I'd never been to before, and I fell to my knees. And I began to cry. cried and I listened to that pastor and he said repeat the simple words and ask Jesus into your heart and I did I told Jesus that I was sorry that I loved him and that I wanted to know what this plan for my life was I wanted to be in this personal relationship with him if he wanted to be in it with me it's power not Junior's power but God's power the Holy Spirit's power power to change. I went home and I tried to explain to my wife what happened. She looked at me and she said, I don't know what happened, but I'm worried. She told me at one point that I'd been abducted by aliens. I didn't know what to tell her. All I knew is that I was indeed a different person. Success for me is that one day when I die and I see Jesus, that he'll look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful son.
have been given such a gift based on the life that I lived, a second chance, a chance to follow Jesus, to go to heaven, to live an eternal life. And I know for certainty that I'm going to live in heaven. My father is the kind of individual that keeps his feelings very close, but I wasn't sure that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got up the courage finally to lean over to my father and to ask him, Hey Dad, have you ever prayed a prayer like that and asked Jesus into your heart? is knowing that those that you love will make heaven. That's true success. I'm Wayne Heising Jr. and I am second. Those idols, those idols that we pursue that, that, that as, you, as you listen to Junior there, and, and you could almost feel it, because it's those idols that we pursue, and, and we might be sitting here right now, is what are those idols that I'm, I'm trying to find my happiness in, but my soul is so unmended right now. It's unmet. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. An idol is usually whatever arouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. If there's one thing that you want to write down, it might be that quote. An idol is whatever I give my, my time, my attention, my energy, and money to effortlessly. And yet as I close today, we know this. It never meets our deepest, deepest desire. It overcommits, under delivers. And it's through that relationship with Jesus Christ, that pursuit of a relationship that was created to make up for what Ecclesiastes says, this eternal that God's created for us to be in relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ and in that relationship we begin to meet our deepest soul needs and that pursuit of Christ and the love for him and to experience his grace allows us to be transformed more like Christ so what's your idol And what are you going to do with it? And do you want more? Would you stand with me as we close today? As we close, just to, to remind you, visit again. And, and on your way out, for the visitors, there's red, there's red containers on the walls for you to put away your, uh, your card. Also, for those who are giving back with tithes and offerings, a response of God's goodness to us, we give back obediently to him. And then for you who might be here today, who said, Brian, I've never 
heard about the hope in Christ, and I've been driving all my life to find contentment, and I'm living with idols that have not yet produced a thing for me, and I want to know more about Christ and what he did for me. They are waiting for you in the back in that room to journey with you. Would you pray? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those things that we sometimes don't know that we don't know. And yet when we find out, it unlocks and unleashes. I pray that this morning, for some of us in this room, that something was unlocked and unleashed that leads us to a greater transformed life and even an eternal relationship with you through faith in Christ. And God, if anything, just to recognize, just to be on a surface level, what we pursue in this life never, ever meets what we desperately need in our souls. So we at least corporately admit that's true. Now today, what we do with it, oh, let us go do something with it as we leave today. Oh, let us be different than how we walked in. May you bless, give us courage. I, I pray blessing over this group for this unique body, local body called 360. And just guide, guard us, and bring us back together and continue to do life together. And we do this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. God bless.